What do you mean the protein resequencer is out of stakes? Man, look, this is what happens when you serve all the good stuff to some fucking boomer truckers trying to space the cap. Yeah, fine. Give me the goddamn meatloaf. What's up, Joe? Bullshits, what's up? I swear if I knew what Chef's name was, I'd report him to Starfleet Command. Ribeye should be for the crew. The human crew. No aliens allowed. They can't appreciate it. Yeah, speaking of uh, appreciating aliens, little little tea for you here. I noticed something weird, and I'm not sure how to explain it. After the last several months out here in godforsaken nowhere space, I am ready for your weirdness. Hit me. You know Ensign Stevie that works over in the geology department? I think she only came out here so she could go on away missions and fuck an alien. No, she's probably just eager. You know, boldly go, strange new worlds, blah blah blah. What makes you think she wants to bone them? Joseph, Peter, are you excited? I'm excited. You don't look excited, but you should be excited because I will tell you why you should be excited because we are making first contact once again. And these aliens, according to the Vulcan database, <laughs> communicate by sticking their tongue into the nearest sizable orifice of the person that they are communicating Ew. with. I have been eating steak every day this week. We are going to have so many in-depth conversations. I am so excited. Uh, anyway, I will see you down there. Have a great day. Enjoy your meatloaf. I hear it's great. Bye! Yeah, what were you saying about boldly going? That woman's so hungry to fucking alien, she ate all the steak. Always looking for a cure for what ails you. It's Feed Your Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I'm your co-host, Peter. Here, before we launch into our episode of Enterprise that we watched this week, uh, something else happened this week that was of at least some note to me. Was uh, it as, uh, May the 4th? Of course. As a Star Trek podcast, we are bound and determined to honor other religions' holidays. <laughs> I, <laughs> Orf- I had, Orthodox uh, Jediism. Yeah, I had uh, you know my my one year birthday for my youngest daughter, and I posted her little birthday pictures, and I made sure for the second year in the row to get as many Starfleet insignias up on her as possible and that troll Star anybody. Trek onesie can... she was in was choice, sir. I know that was some dad joke level stuff right there. All right, Joe, lay this fucking. Strange New Worlds bullshit on me. Bro, I watched it with the intention of having something to fucking bitch about with you in this like little segment we sometimes do to sort of warm up a little bit before we start talking about Enterprise. You know, have a little fun. And then to my eternal astonishment, I watched a perfectly cromulent episode of Star Trek that was somehow produced in the year of our Lord 2022. Um, Chakotay? Is that... <laughs> 
I don't. I, I'm looking in the video chat. I don't see a tattoo Co-opted. over your eye. <laughs> I have not been co-opted. It was actually good. I've been fooled before. We thought the first episode of Picard was good, so I am Mm-mm. not. I'm Mm-mm. not. Not the first. It was like the first. I'm trying to find the the episode titles, but it was like it takes money to make money. Well, we, we, watched, we, we split the opener into two episodes because we talked about it for two hours. It was still just one episode. It was still just the opener. I have a lot of different multi-layered takes on not just the show, which I do want to talk about, but also how it is we got here in that they're finally making what I would consider to be actual Star Trek for the first time in, you know, since Enterprise went off the air. But my question to you is, have you watched it? Absolutely not. Do you intend I, to, I guess, is my question. Then Here's what I will say. All right, because the, what, what you're saying right now is the most foolish shit I've heard potentially all year. Uh, it wasn't until I would say the third episode of Picard, which I believe we said, um, you have to spend money to make money. If you're going to care, then I guess I'll care too. Fate brought us together. Expect heavy hate. And I think maybe we got too born to that. It took a while for Picard to rear its ugly head. Us to lose some listeners from our uh, ranting. Um, you know, it's easy to trick people with a pilot. And I'm not playing that game. If you get, I don't know, five, six, seven episodes into this thing. Maybe I'll let this thing play out and I'll binge watch it. I'll do a binge burn. But right now I got season six of Better Call Saul on my plate, which is fucking amazing. And uh, I'm not I'm not wading into this strange new worlds unless I know it is a full season of good. That is goddamn well worth my time uh, for me to go back like some sort of battered wife syndrome to the Kurtzman <laughs> camp of pain and destruction. I, I don't want to have too much hope because literally the because same people are know the same people producing this like that's what's so weird that's the weirdest part akiva goldman wrote and directed this fucking thing and i liked it and i don't know how i feel about that, what's that suluban guy's name sick silic silic yeah okay you just got summoned over to the temporal chamber mm-hmm. and Sordon's like hey buddy why don't you sit down on that torture chair <laughs> i promise i'm not gonna rip your eyeball out again or I don't know, take away those fillings I gave you last time. And your stupid ass is getting in that chair. You're about to get downgraded. <laughs> Courtesy. <laughs> well, before you rip out any of my genetic enhancements, mm-hmm. and certainly I will inform you if five or six episodes into this, it's still good. I want it to be good. I want it to be good. I want there to be some Star Trek I can get hype about. And if this is good and we can have something other than Orville and lower decks to to tickle our fancies with, I'm all for it. I'm just saying we will uh, reserve further comment for the future. This could be a topic for us to discuss more formally in an episode. But this episode, we will formally be discussing an episode of Enterprise season one, episode 13, Dear Doctor. We open up with a beautiful, sweeping, brand new rendered view of San Francisco Starfleet Command. This is the first new shot I've seen in forever because before they just use that old motion picture footage and we go into Admiral Forrest's office 
and there's some pissed off looking Vulcans. They start spitting some fire and uh oh, Pajem. And I'm fucking hype. I'm like, fuck yeah, man. This is what I'm excited for. And then I realize, uh, hey, my episodes of Star Trek are mislabeled and I'm watching <laughs> something way deeper in the season than I should be watching right now. Because I knew I was supposed to be watching Dear Doctor and it, it said it's season one, episode 13, but it was the fucking Pajem incident or something. So I'm like, damn. So I got to take all this fucking hype and excitement about the Vulcans getting pissed off and cutting ties with Starfleet. And I got to put all that hype and excitement back in a box and try and shove it down. And then I start the right episode. The newest entry into the lowest stakes opener. <laughs> of all. Hey, all that fucking badass, like my blood's pumping. I'm like, oh my God, the hammer's about to drop for Archer mucking around in Pajem. No, it's just uh, Phlox feeding some critters. That's it. That's the opener. Fox is feeding his menagerie of dudes whose poop he uses to like cure cancer and shit. That's it. That's the opener. This is the Flox episode, right? Like this is basically setting the table to say everyone else has had their turn. You know, we did the, we did the Hoshi episode first. Uh, we've had a trip episode. We've had a, essentially a T'Pol episode. We've, we've had, which one's a T'Pol episode? Oh, breaking uh, the ice. And the, my dear John episode. Yeah. yeah. And then we've had the Mayweather episode with the Space Boomers. We've had Reed just last week. Uh, Silent Enemy. Why is this one so much better than everybody else's Get to Know the Crew episode? Because fucking Flax is played by a better actor. <laughs> like, like, compare John Billingsley <laughs> to the plank of wood that's playing Mayweather, man. Like, yikes. Like, of course, he's gonna, this episode's going to be better. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's just overall set up to be much more I, I don't know the space trucker one was good too though it was uh, maybe it's just if the episode was interesting it was not i think good in the end because mayweather and also the ending with the low energy chest high wall phaser fight against the nausicans was just awful but no but the world building was huge in that and that was i, I really enjoyed our uh, again it's so hard for me to be objective in any conversation or rating of these episodes because our conversations following the episode weigh so heavily on my memories of these episodes. Oh, sure. That's that's the nature of the beast. And probably something for our listeners to keep in mind, too, is that, you know, we sit here, we digest it, and then you and I spend not just an hour talking about it that people hear, but we also talk about it a little bit before and follows on to the trauma support group on Facebook. Yeah. And then all the um, interactions we have with the fans, you know, and, and suddenly really our memories of the episode are more reflective of the, uh, we, our conversation is what we remember more than the episode itself, perhaps. Sure. Uh, but yeah, this is Flox is a more interesting character because he's an alien and we get yes. a sense of how alien he is in this, which we had not seen before. And I do think it comes down to acting talent. John Billingsley knows what he's doing. He's a veteran of stage and screen, and he is capable of taking this alien character and making it feel very lived, very lived in, very real and natural, which helps just make the whole thing click. And you can say it's because he's alien. And and I think that's really going to be the root of the difference, but just the presentation 
the the way he talks, the physical mannerisms is just so much more interesting than anything you're getting out of the Starfleet characters. And I always like going back to Neelix because I feel like Neelix and Phlox are ultimately kind of cut from the same cloth. You know, they, they've got these goofy outfits with uh, heavy prosthetics, but the body language is wild. The way they talk is wild. And I think they're just they seem like they're fun people. They're the fat guys on the crew, right? The fat dudes wearing the Hawaiian shirts. And and I dig that. Also, Denoblians are something we don't know about in Star Trek, right? So not only is he playing an alien, he's playing an alien that the viewer is not familiar with the same way they're familiar with Klingons or Romulans or Vulcans or, or even Trill or whatever else is out there. So mm-hmm. because of that, there's an extra element of, that compels you to understand what's going on because what a Denoblian is is new now to you as the viewer. So the episode's framing device is essentially... Uh, him having a correspondence with a fellow physician, Jeremy Lucas, who is part of the interspecies medical exchange, but he's a human that is now serving in on Denoblia and he is acquainted with him. They seem to be relatively close. And he, uh, Dr. Lucas wrote a letter to Flox. He gets it delivered to him by Hoshi. And then he decides that he is going to, uh, send a return letter there is uh it's also kind of bookended by uh, and there's actually even a very clear mid scene where hoshi and flocks clearly have a very friendly relationship which we will see a lot through the series where they're they're homies and um it's a know, good she, pairing it's a good pairing because they're both loose right like they're kind of there by circumstance not because they have like a desperate desire to serve in starfleet you know, Flax right. is like, I'm here because I was the only one who knew how to treat a Klingon and also humans are interesting. And and in much the same way, Hoshi's like, I'm here because I like languages, not because I really want to be a military. This officer. is giving me a thing I want, and I'm yeah. putting up with the space adventures that go along with it. So this first aired uh, January 23rd, 2002, written by Maria and Andre. Would we settle on this name? Jockamenton? Jockamenton? Jockamenton, Yeah. Yeah, Yaka Madden. Directed by James A. Conter. Not familiar with anything this guy's done before, and we don't really have any uh, dates on this. Um, the cool part about the framework in which this episode operates, this pen pal correspondence, and the look into life on um, the Denoblian homeworld and the Denoblian culture not only do you get what Flox volunteers in said dialogue to other characters on the ship, but you basically get a recap of what the letter he had received was. So this guy is the first human exchange, uh, medical exchange program on Denoblia, and they're talking about the mating season, where you basically have to have a uh, spray bottle to... <laughs> get, get to get the knot to release or whatever the fuck's going on over there. We, uh, we there's an undercurrent of Denoblians are kind of freaky. <laughs> you know, like, uh, they, much more than an undercurrent. They 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 like to fuck. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if polyamorous was a term that existed back in 2002. Uh He's they may got a literal well... polycube. <laughs> it's, we're going to hear about it. Yeah. So, uh once he finishes talking about uh, the the things that this other doctor has posed to him, he starts kind of 
bringing his own experiences on Enterprise up to speed. And at its core, this is uh, Data's Day, right? And we what was the last Data's Day we had? Hmm. And well, Voyager never never did an episode quite like that. They never had the they never had the episode that was entirely dictated by like log entries or something like that. Um. Well, there was a ver- there the the pale moonlight is a famous DS nine episode that is like structured that way, but is obviously much more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the last time I think they used this trope. So we've had other slice of life episodes, but it's it's the log entries and it's the actual spoken narrative. Yeah, um, that carries us forward on this, and you get to see what does a doctor get up to serving on board one of the pioneer warp vessels in the Federation. And he's dealing with everything from the captain continuing to feed Porthos. cheese. I'm sorry, somebody continuing to feed Porthos cheese. I'm not willing to rule out Slubian. Yeah. Now, uh, Silic could still be sneaking on and giving him a piece of chatter every, every day. Just, just, yeah, that's my head cannon. Um, I, I, I think that's top level villainy and we've really struck gold there. <laughs> uh, the, the one dude catching a, I don't know, some sort of plasma explosion to the face and hand. One of the original Starfleet I, IEDs. You know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is where this comes from. As far as digital, they had to do it by steam power. I like this guy's face is all burned up and his hands jacked up. And he's got a jar of fucking uh, Vaseline with a Q-tip to apply. It's like, man, his face is like melting off. You could do a little bit better than that. I... Like the narration in that it's set, it sets up that Flox is very different than his human colleagues and that even though he is the doctor, he has less natural empathy for what's going on. You know, he's the compassion of the humans to him is a surprising trait. They, you know, the whole episode is going to be about the compassion Archer has for an alien race that they encounter that are having medical problems. He even comments like, and how much Archer loves his dog and how Talk like to his dog. Yeah. Like that they've got this connection with a lesser creature that is, you know, incredibly tight, which yeah, it's true. I mean, no, no dog. I, I know exactly what that means. So he's not saying I disagree with this or things are not this way where I'm from, or this seems so alien and stupid so much as this, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? His, his, his he cherishes, he uh, seems to genuinely enjoy the differences and almost aspire to incorporate them. The coolest thing about Phlox is that he identifies that while these things seem alien or he might be encountering new things, that he wants to embrace them and try them again, which lends credence to that sensate thing I said before and incorporate it into his life and grow from it instead of rigidly cling to his own previous uh, belief structure. The B plot of the episode is also present in this first act. That is that the doctor has a lady friend. So uh, one that is familiar to us, one crewman Cutler. So, they we see them at the movie night 
And we actually finally see the movie night after it's been mentioned in the past. They're watching specifically uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, which is a movie from like the 40s. Yeah, they've got a real rule on Enterprise against showing any movies that uh, may incur the studio. Bro, it's a Paramount film. I got that one out. I got that one. The option's free on that one. (laughs) Also, this antiquated Starfleet technology, they have not yet um, gotten color TVs in the mess hall, so everything's black and white. You got to watch it the way it was intended. Also, well, I'm pretty sure it's intended to eat uh, popcorn out of a bag, not whatever space Tupperware. It's clear. First of all, there's the, like the ultimate zinger of a line if you're watching an episode of Star Trek, which is Phlox mentions that they used to have things like movies on Denoblia until they fell out of fashion several hundred years ago when people realized their own lives were more interesting. <laughs> That's a scorcher. <laughs> but he comments like humans are so empathetic that they empathize with fictional creatures, fictional beings that they watch in in these movies. And that is fascinating to him. And that's why I wanted to be part of the experience. Uh, but of course, Settler brought him because, um, you know, she D2F. Yeah, she's super DTF to the point where he's trying. She's trying to drop hints to Flox. Of like take me to Bone Town, and he's he's not he's not receiving the hint, so just kisses him chastely on the cheek after and, and touching him, and he recoils because Denoblians do not like physical contact, which very interesting. Weird, weird for a doctor, then you know, like all you do is touch people all day long. I did like during the movie that uh, they're watching a sad part. And it's clear that Flocks couldn't give a shit about the movie, but he is thoroughly enjoying looking around at all the other crew members, their reactions, and kind of like drinking that social experience. Yeah, he's a true sociologist in that way. Like he's he really is interested in what like we've seen this also not just in his interactions with the human crew and like understanding them on a scientific level. I mean, he went off with the Hare Krishnas, right? Like he he any chance he's got to absorb a new culture, that's what he likes. We also find out that Trip cries like a bitch during movies. My wife was also watching this with me, and uh, she kind of seemed to perk up at Cutler for some reason. Yeah, and so I told her who watched this episode with me, as should probably obvious from her skit. Yeah, and uh, I told her what happens to the actress, and she was gutted. And instantly, as she always does, like over researches this thing and finds out she's also from Columbus, Ohio, and like all these terrible things. And I'm like, this, and this is stuff that happened like 20 years ago. It's funny to me that Stevie had almost the exact same reaction. Um, you know, I mentioned that Cut- the actress that played Cutler had passed away very suddenly after the first season. And uh, she had a similar response. Of, oh, I really like her. She's great. I like she's her energy. A- I like her voice. She's way better in this than she was in the uh, Transporter Acts, whatever Reefer Madness episode was. You can really see why it is they were interested in having her be a recurring character. You know, like she she's bringing something to the screen with this with with this with Cutler that is compelling and different and interesting. And it is a shame that the plans they had for her did not come to fruition because of her untimely demise. Yeah. Uh, But for this episode, she is the B plot. She is throwing signals at Phlox and Phlox isn't quite sure how to handle that. But uh, all of this 
little slice of life is interrupted by the space problem of the week. And that is that Enterprise finds a adrift sublight vessel and takes in the crew members of it to find out that they are from a nearby homeworld. Uh, they're called the Valakians. And they are out here, despite not having a warp drive, because they are desperate to try and find anyone that can help them deal with a epidemic on their homeworld. And uh, they are very sickly looking people. So this is an interesting situation. This is a alien race that is a pre-warp civilization, yet accomplished enough in their own regard that they have a viable space program. And Enterprise is not their first contact with a warp-capable species. In fact, there have been two previous uh, documented species that have visited the planet. One of uh, them we've heard of before. The absolutely. Frangie. The fucking Frangi. I was, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, so, so these are like uh, the animal fur pain whip savage variety, right? The, the pre-season one TNG guys. I mean, they basically retconned that, right? Like they they made it so that that was never a thing. Like the, the uh, Ferengi were never actually like that, and that was just straight retconned. No, DS9 because disposes of that as a thing. Well, listen, man, lower decks. There's a whole gag where there's a Ferengi pulling a joke or whatever, and he's got the the animal cloth outfit on and whatnot. It's an acknowledged stereotype that they lean into. Anyways, it was cool that the Ferengi are mentioned. Interestingly, Earth has never, nor has Vulcan ever, encountered the Ferengi. Um, but these Vulcarians, right, they know about aliens and warp travel and races being out there that are more scientifically advanced. And they go, well, this plague we're dealing with is killing us by the millions. Um, maybe we can get some help from some space people. So we're going to send out our little rinky dink shuttle craft space shuttles. And we're going to see if we can't hail down somebody over by the freeway and get them to come over and help us out. Well, these particular Valakians do in fact find a helpful, uh, trekker and not at all the, the bad kind, the good kind, the bro kind. And they take them back to their home world and I'm like, all right, well, you know, these guys already been visited by some other species. They know what's up. They know what they're missing. We might as well handle them a hand, right? This isn't like a situation where they're a bunch of Bronze Age dirt farmers. These are, I, these are near near to the, the warp drive spot, and they already know people are out here. How interesting that all of a sudden Archer gives a shit about first contact protocol. You know, he pulls a... Uh, to Paul off to the side and has a discussion. And I'm like, gee, you're so quick to take this Vulcan advice now after not giving two shits about it back in civilization. Listen, okay, to Paul. Unlike Yennefer of the Olive Garden, these are not fuckable aliens. They <laughs> might have space aids. So they might give me jungle rat on my dick. So do like, we get involved? <laughs> you know, like Please say no. <laughs> but she says, yeah, you can go. And I'm like, all right, I guess we'll help. Fuck. <laughs> they get there. And uh, we find out that the most the- generic space future city you have ever seen. It's like a Civ 3 cutscene. <laughs> it's like 
low tech. And mm-hmm. also, there's something about the Valakian species that is very clear from the rest of their appearances on screen from this point. This is a species, as Stevie pointed out, that apparently loves Mr. Roger sweaters. Oh, everyone, yeah. everyone yeah. is wearing the same comfy cardigan, the same pattern. They all look like they're going to take their shoes off and, and and then put on loafers and ask if you would like to be their neighbor. Starkly contrasted by their spacesuits, which look like these rubber band bodysuits, similar to what the space engineers wore in Prometheus. The Valakians are also portrayed as perfect gentleman species. You, they they build in these sort of false assumptions throughout the episode of like something's going to happen and these guys are going to turn out to be secretly assholes or do something bad. Yeah. To th- when do I see the secret swastika? Yeah. Be- every time with sick or circumstances like this, these species wind up doing some fucking dumb shit or dirty shit. And you think that might be the way that they justify not Ooh, helping are these them. Klingassians? Or- are they going to steal warp drive and like fly starships into suns and collapse solar systems. No, just guys- fly off the handle so fucking hard at the end of this episode. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm- it, it, bro, like my wife went nuclear at when in the last eight minutes of this, like she Stevie went ballistic at the ending that they chose for this. This these is are, the first time God's perfect victims. These poor people. These are the only instance in any of the Trek that I've watched where it's all Dr. Jekyll and zero Mr. Hyde. Yeah. These guys are very reasonable, gentlemanly aliens. And to the point where, uh, you know, they go, all right, well, we're going to hear what you, what you have to say. Uh, we're going to beam down to the surface. We're going to see firsthand, you know, the very familiar site of Star Trek where you have uh, a hospital that is swamped with very sickly, very pathetic looking people. Oh, my God, this entire civilization is going to die. And then Archer goes, well, we'll use our space science and see if we can't help you and <laughs> gives flocks like the biggest work order any starship doctor has ever gotten over. Hey, you need to save an entire goddamn world pretty much by yourself. Interesting that uh, T'Pol is not involved at all in this. Yeah, as a science officer, you you and as a Vulcan, you would expect her to have some insight. But I think it's because they wanted to offload that weight onto Cutler instead. She's like the science sure. helper. And also like Hoshi is the, the, the plot's already kind of Flax has got the people she's he's going to act against the the ladies are are taking that spot so um, i'm going through my notes here and i even have like where is the lurking evil i can't stand to wait (laughs) so when they get there they find out these guys are nice they're all wearing mr rogers sweaters and that there there is a client race essentially there a second humanoid race on this planet called the mink and the mink are simple eastern european peasants they are not as they're they're not as sophisticated. They're not able to to grasp things and technology the same way. Uh, but unlike, as is noted, every other planet ever, apparently the Valakians are such cool dudes that despite having this inferior species that they evolved or evolved with, they just like take care of them. 
They're like, we'll give you places to stay. We'll give you everything you need. You know, you get you to get work to, in all of our us. with us. Yeah. You've got mutual respect. Mm-hmm. And this isn't like showing, not telling. I mean, they're, they're certainly showing that happening. But like even Fox is openly saying, like, you never see this. Anytime there is a competing dominant species, the, the actual dominant species eradicates it. And what you're seeing right here is like super fucking rare. I like how it comes up to that. Uh, the, the men guys, like a nurse or an orderly or something in the hospital, and he talks and the universal translator just ain't having it. And they're like, wow, why, why is this not working? Oh, it's a different um, language. And, and here it is. So Cutler kind of functions as, uh, the audience member in this going, Hmm, something nefarious is going on there. This can't be, we, I have to find a reason to be upset. There has some sort of social injustice. My bet was on, all right, the Vlachians like secret Nazi moment was going to be like, yeah, we genetically engineered this other race so it could never like surpass us. And whatever we did, like genetically edit them is also blocking this fucking terrible thing blighting us. Yeah, so the, the the key revelation that ends up coming across pretty early is that this is not a pathogen, it is a genetic disease. And that is why the, the mink come into play, because Phlox is exploring all the options, right? Like, well, there's this other species here, maybe their genome, and they're not afflicted by the disease. So that's like a key hint, what's going on. And so we're going to investigate them. Also during this, Phlox is pursuing his B-plot, because he has the conversation with Hoshi before the three of them go down to the the encampment of the mink to to collect their blood samples. I thought this was very clever where she he is cl- clearly teaching her how to speak to Noblian. And so they're having like a session of her learning the language and having their conversation into Noblian, you know, and Hoshi's occasionally making a mistake on a word and there's all in subtitles. Very charming. And like again, Hoshi's my second favorite character on the show because she is just she likes to start shit and it's her, her ability is to just be the normal person on the ship and, you know, basically tease her friend about like, are you going to fuck this broad or not? <laughs> like it's, it's very like normal conversation and, and why the way deliver- Voyager not hit episodes like this with the ease that enterprise is doing consistently now lack of acting talent my friend also i don't a very, a very inflexible writer's room you know like it, this sort of ease i would love to know if the writer's room on this show was a little bit looser i think I'm, and again this this is a boring episode there's not any action in here and and again looking at the last 12 episodes there's a lot of just low key like, this is super high stakes in here but this is not a run and gun this isn't ship combat red alert anything like this Compared to Voyager, these are very boring episodes, but I think making the characters relatable and doing relatable stuff and interesting space things and continuity, 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 that these relationships are growing and evolving is just making them relatable in interesting ways that it was impossible for Voyager to do. Yeah, maybe they've just, you know, learned from their mistake. And the fact that they never did it. It could be that Occam's razor is the real answer here, but I, I'm hanging my hat on acting talent. I think that the actors they're choosing to have these scenes, I, 
are just better than most of the people that were ever on Voyager. Like, do you think Robert Beltran can really compete with Connor Trenier when it comes to like what they've put on screen? I know they didn't let they didn't let Chakotay man. Like, listen, Chakotay had fucking great episodes. It just the writing for him sucked. And it sucked for seasons until finally he turned into a great character. And then they'd do dumb shit with him, you know, jam him with the seven and nine bullshit. Uh, so anyways, uh, the the language exchange there is cool. Uh, they speak convincing space gibberish in and out. It's playful. Um, Hoshi certainly has a warm viewpoint on this, but Flox uh, wants a second opinion. And he gives me the best scene uh, that we have in this episode. And that's where he finds some reason to get to Paul into sick bay. And the scene opens with her saying, that's fucking impossible. Uh, my teeth have Vulcan space wax on them. Ain't no goddamn <laughs> way I have a cavity, like some sort of caveman. And he's like, nope, there it is. Look, you got a cavity. Let me let me fix it with a space pick here real quick. And while I'm mucking around in your mouth, do you think humans are capable of having a relationship with an alien? And Paul gives very um, accurate, if sad, advice, which is no. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're fascinated by new things. They don't have maturity. You're going to get your heart broken. Don't do it. Yeah, don't fuck with these humans. And then Flock should be like, is that why you're walking around in... um, Spandex. Is that why you're making the eyes at Trip over there, eating that fucking pecan pie? This is what that. This is what that cavity's from. It's not from Vulcan. Uh, that would be a hell of a thing. It's like you've eaten a lot more sugar lately. Yeah. <laughs> like what is this? After Flux gets that advice, uh, that's when they they go down to the mink uh, encampment and. Like you said, Cutler is the cutout for the audience of like something sinister must be going on here, whereas it's not. And, and again, it's Flock saying like, you never see this. This is a best case scenario. This is crazy good. And at this point, I'm like, OK, so let's assume the Vlachians aren't uh, genetically sabotaging the Menk into being a subservient species like Okay, the B plot here is uh, interracial dating, right? Uh, Flocks and Cutler. And you go back to that episode of Next Gen where there's like the high science people. And then like, was that the one with the racist ass portrayal of the Irish people? Oh, or like, the TNG episode with the with the yeah, with the Irish aliens. That, they're like, the, no, the one fucks Riker. The, the one redhead fucks Riker, correct? And they're like, no, to save the dilemma, you guys need to, you have to merge cultures. You, you have basically to have, have to fuck each other because your gene pools are running out. Yeah. And I, I'm like, okay, so they're going to tell the Vlackians like, hey, you got to fuck some Neanderthals and, and that's going to fix. Not what happens. Um, but uh, Cutler. It's funny that you, it, 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 you know, what's fucking you and my wife have a share a brain because her first thought when this problem was a genetic issue and it came down to like their proteins, you know, discombobulating or whatever was like, Oh, do they have to fuck another species? <laughs> it's like immediately breadcrumbs are all there. Yeah. I and mean, what a great way to tie the B plot in with the A plot. 
Uh, and but what I, I thought I, was going to be a low stakes, um, you know, happy ending. But but the the Irish people and the other people in the TNG episode, they're all humans. They're just like from different colonies, whereas these are different species. And there's a pretty good like background on like species intercompatibility being pretty rare, right? Like, you know, Vul- Vulcan human hybrids are rare, like Spock's an exception. Well, I just got front rows to uh, human Klingon bone town courtesy of. Gosh, what was that? I I was making fun of some couple the other day, and I, I said Makta. My wife's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "That's Klingon for bad match." <laughs> That's my big takeaway from vo- from from the story of Balana Torres as Makta. Avoid those toxic space relationships. So Cutler again, she keeps playing that you know this is wrong. What's happening here? Um. They're they're cataloging blood samples, this and that. Oh, these guys seem simple, but there's much more to it. Look at the way he's cataloged these blood samples we've recovered. Um, you know, they're starting to learn English or basic or whatever the fuck they're speaking on Earth at this point uh, without the universal translator. Wow, these guys are surprising. What a cool little throwback vacation camp we're in. Too bad the stakes aren't so high. Boo hoo. Off we go back up to the ship, and we're going to see if we can't solve the space dilemma. We do get the uh, flocks trying to lay down some some facts for Cutler of like, you know, I'm in a polycube, right? I've got three wives, and they all have three husbands because apparently Denoblians can't stop fuck, can't stop, won't stop fucking. And Cutler's like, I I don't want to be wife for. I just want to. I'm, I want to be here for a good time. Why are you time. telling me this? Why are you telling me you're married? Like Cutler, you hoe bag. What? <laughs> This isn't the 24th century. Shit's not that loosey-goosey yet. That's kind of the end of that plot. I guess aside from there's an indication that Flox, in fact, continues to develop a relationship with Cutler. I Um, do want to say that the Menk, as they're trying to present them as a lesser evolved species, um, I could only like look at the crew members, the cast of the crew, and then these guys that looked like all of the Menk extras came from central Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) These are the people of Walmart in special effects makeup with like some extra eyebrow and an extra greasy hair, but it's, they they found very specifically unattractive extras to fill these roles. Uh, I feel personally attacked. When we get back up to the ship, we have a scene where Archer has a conversation with the, the scout that is in the last stages of the disease where the ask is made for the warp drive. And that is when Archer has a conversation with Paul where it's like, Oh, this is getting kind of hard. Like they're asking for some really reasonable you know, things here from us. Like they're like, if you can't help us, we could really use a warp drive so we can go find more people who might be able to help us PLZ. We don't all want to perish it's a good scene for Archer because he, he finally says like, Oh yeah. Um, I guess I finally starting to see what the Vulcans have to deal with when they encounter these situations, particularly when Paul punctuates it with, yeah, we thought we could leave earth and 90 years later, we're still there. You fucking hairless apes. <laughs> you drain our lives away. <laughs> no, I mean it, this is a, a great scene between them and framing everything on earth uh you know we chose to get involved i don't think she's saying it from like you you drain our resources and you're miserable but like 
you can't fuck with this kind of stuff lightly. And you've got some real big decision. Did you come out here to explore? Did you come out here to babysit and, and handhold and, you know, put a real investment of time into this stuff? Space is rough. Uh, I have my own thoughts on, on decisions made here. Um, but, uh, that's a, a plus scene between the two of them. Does this do anything to chill Archer out towards the Vulcans in subsequent episodes? I don't know. I mean, your big complaint about Archer is that he always reverts back to this rebellious teen uh, bullshit with the Vulcans, but I don't think the evolution really starts to set in until we get out of season one. I think, unfortunately, in season one, the writers didn't quite get the fucking, you know, their own notes. <laughs> so, again, what the Vlackians want hey, if you can cure us, great. If not, instead of us sending out people in spaceships looking for help and continuing to try this on our own, you give us warp. Maybe we can maybe we can get out there. We can get some real. Archer's concern about giving out the warp engine isn't like a tactical disadvantage or, hey, it's not fair. It's I could give them the blueprints. They can't even fabricate these things, let alone understand the wild risk and danger involved of antimatter technology. And I thought that was another strong point. If you jump back to candy corn tragedy, right? Yeah, that was an episode where they discovered antimatter tech and were not being cautious with it. Yeah. So that that was actual time and again. again. Awful episode. I'll never forget how bad that was. But. Uh, a good cautionary tale as to what happens when you are being reckless with antimatter. You blow your whole goddamn world up and cause like space time continuum distortions in terrible fashion. Well, until Janeway shoots it, you know, that's yeah, that's all. That's all. Listen, man, give these guys a fucking warp drive. Give them a phaser. They can shoot the the explosions and, you know, everybody fine. That'd be great. But besides, they're all going to die of of space aids anyway. So who cares if they blow themselves up? That's right. At least you're giving them a fighting chance. Yeah, go down, go down with their boots on. It'll be good. So it'll be over quick. Uh, So they 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 do all of that. You expect, again, the the Valakians are going to like make a move on the ship or they're going to do something sinister. Nope. what happens is Flox looks into a microscope and then looks very concerned. And then you have the most infuriating scene that I have seen in an episode of Star Trek that I otherwise liked in my life. And that is the scene where Phlox goes to the mess hall and talks to Archer and makes the case that it would be incorrect to save the Valakians at all because his research has indicated that the mink are evolving and continuing to get smarter and may become the dominant species on the planet. And it would be wrong to interfere with the natural course of evolution on this planet. Roll it back. Phlox goes to the mess hall. Archer's already there. Archer's looking pretty tore up because Archer is currently contemplating like, how the fuck do I handle this? Do I give these guys warp technology? Gee whiz, if only we could accomplish what we actually sat here for, which is giving them a cure to this problem that is plaguing them. Never at any point does Archer think, hey, maybe I should like phone home and see what Admiral Force says or like the president of Earth or anybody else. I'm just I'm I'm I am the captain. I am in charge of humanity out here in our decisions. He goes, hey, so what's going on? And that's where Flock starts playing coy and not putting out straight answers. 
and then yeah, it gets into this fucking thing. Like, and again, this is where I'm expecting them to be like, hey, you know, I found something hard. You know, they've they've sabotaged the mank or just something to 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 give you that space Nazi vibe off these guys. But no, it's exactly what you said. Just um, this is a genetic defect. This is built in. This has been going on for a long time. It's just getting worse. Uh, you know, they're probably all going to be gone within 200 years. But and and here's this fucking side thing now about natural selection and this and that. So Archer, for the time being, sticks to his guns and says, we're I've we're out. My compassion guides my judgment. Like I've done time and time again, I'm sticking my neck out to try and help people and get involved in these these civilization, like the last one civilization where he's fighting the lizard people because they're getting poisoned or whatever, uh, or any other situation we've encountered so far where I have not hesitated to insert myself in a foreign problem, regardless of its origin, and correct things to the way that makes people people, you know, to 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 do the right thing. And if you can secure this thing, we have to. I'm ordering you to to cure this goddamn problem if it's within your power. And in if flocks, not in Flox cops at that point to saying I have I, I have developed a cure. I have figured out this out. The problem to me is not Flox coming into this conversation with the theoreticals he comes into it with. Because he is being portrayed through this episode as being in, in remarking on human compassion as an interesting element of the species and one that he is fully not compatible with, but is beginning to appreciate and understand by his continued observation of it. And so him coming in with the very overly scientific evolutionary argument and laying that case down is it's not the problem. Nor, of course. Yeah, it's just fine. Nor, of course, do I doubt Archer's um, you know, counter argument, which is no, these people are here. There are millions of them. They have asked for our help. They are suffering. If it is within our capacity to help them, we can and we should. The fucking problem is that for no reason that this episode actually explains, Archer just decides to accept Flox's argument and leave. All of these people to die. You ready, Joe? I'm ready. I've had a change of heart. I'm going off the script so soon. Me, the writer's room needs this plot. Fuck your continuity. I'll be as dumb as it takes to give this episode some high stake. Forget what I said. Before precedent is such a bore, it's not a temporal crime to change my mind. A change of heart. Oh my. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> round of applause. This is Vijay, please, first. We got Peter to sing. Go. Do what you're about to do. I. I. What the fuck, man? Like, you know, all right. So, so let's poke holes on Flox here for a second. He says, uh, yeah, I got this, but I've, I've got this fucking objection because of, uh, you know, natural selection. And then uh, Archer hits him back and says, you're a doctor. He says, well, I'm also a scientist. 
I swear to God that he had cited a fucking oath when he went on to a ship to help somebody. I went into every script looking for any mention of Hippocratic or oath. I couldn't find anything. It was from the space trucker episode. Mm-hmm. Now he says, Mr. Like, Mr. Ryan, I'm a physician. If your captain or anyone else is hurt, it wouldn't be right for me to leave without seeing them. I jumped forward. I found mention in an episode called The Breach, where he says that he is acting under Denoblian medical ethics, not Hippocratic oath, and that he must respect the patient's wishes. And I assume on a certain level, there is some part of the Hippocratic oath there, which in whatsoever place that I enter, I will enter to help the sick and heal the injured, and I will do no harm. Uh, okay, he's an alien. He's got this weird split in compassion. The guiding light in this episode has been Phlox looking to Archer specifically as this new example of alternative ethics to grow himself or whatever. You flip over to Archer, though, man, and and. Every step of the way, he has tried to do the right thing to cater, to take the, 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 whatever the well-being is. You jump over to the fucking Terra Prime or Terra Nova. You know, okay, we can't drag these people back to Earth. It's not going to help them. But hey, we can do this other thing that's, that's ultimately the best thing for them. So Archer resolves this and says, all right, we're, we're going to hide the fucking cure we know we have. I'm going to give you uh, basically fentanyl. So you can drug yourself up as you slowly die. I'm not giving you warp, which I agree with because the antimatter argument. Hey, good luck. And maybe in the next 100 or 200 years, you guys can can help yourself. A, morally reprehensible, I feel. Okay, and for all you know, the fucking Mengsk or whatever are going to evolve into being the new form of space Nazis. Right now, you got these Volcarian guys. Most of the galaxy is not down with you, and you've gotten into fight after fight. You've got the nicest fucking species that you will ever encounter in Star Trek. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, this is the best it is, and it's never going to be this good again to the point where they could- literally wearing Mr. Rogers sweaters. They're coexisting with other things. Like, what a great fucking race to have indebted to Earth and be part of this this federation thing you're trying to- Raise statues to your people after that came from the stars and saved us from this terrible disease. We will do whatever Earth says we need to do. We love you guys. We literally exist because of you. And instead, the, the space Boy Scout at every fucking turn has done the right thing, goes, you know what? It's cool to just let all these fucking civilians have a slow, painful death the on bull- my hands. The bullshit dodge that they pull out is that Archer makes reference to that there needs to be some sort of directive that tells us what to do when we're I dealing thought with that species. was really cool. Like he goes, I, I Stevie said something that I thought was fucking amazing when this came up. She fucking screamed and said, motherfuckers, the prime directive, this is what we're going for. Every time a Starfleet ship wants to do something nice or something right, they have to break the goddamn prime directive. Like, what what are you setting up with this? That the prime directive is why these hundreds of millions of these people have to die? This is awful. This is the worst thing. This is the worst thing. The... I like that he's like, listen, there's not a framework telling me what I can and can't do. Uh, so now I can only basically follow my heart or wherever the fucking line is. And I'm like, oh, cool. Well, like, hey, all the times I've ever seen Picard or anybody else in like a rock and a hard place episode, like, well, I want to do the right thing. But the prime directive says you don't have a prime directive. You I can just when, do the right thing, Archer. When he, you I, can I just do the right thing. I figured, like, you know, event, one day there might be something saying we can't get involved like this. But gosh, darn it. 
I know the right thing to do here and we're going to we're going to save these people. There's nothing telling me I can't do it, but fuck them. Just rename this guy Catherine Janeway so he can be the big fucking dummy to to make the plot happen. And otherwise, phenomenal episode with just a batshit criminal ending like take that to your fucking grave dude you, you've got millions of de- not until Catherine Janeway over in the fucking Delta Quadrant saving the Borg will there be a war crime on par with this from a Starfleet uniform assholes and and God forbid evidence that Enterprise had the cure ever leaked out back to these people you want to talk about someone that'll have a fucking bone to pick with you gee oh, yeah. you, you you better hope that they don't like show up you know, with most of their race dead, like we finally mastered warp drive. Does anyone out there have help us? And then like the, the triller, like, yeah, of course. I was like, took us 10 minutes. Here you go. What do you mean the humans couldn't help you? <laughs> like, like, Oh, like, thank oh. you for this, uh, cask of, I don't know, Oxycontin or some other highly addictive fucking s- space drug. By the way, captain, did we ever mention that we are telepathic? So how about you take your space heroin back and, Give me the fucking drugs that that that, that fucking Dr. Mengla over there with his eugenics <laughs> experiments is having at our expense. It's, it's it's everything is fine and makes sense until you get to Archer's choice because he just does not justify or explain his change of heart in a way that is rational, coherent are really acceptable to what we understand about these characters. It's a was baffling that. choice. It was a choice made essentially to give the, the episode gravitas that it didn't need. Uh, it's the high stakes. Didn't you listen? I was going to Dairy Queen to buy a birthday cake mm-hmm. and I, I had my phone. I was just talking to my phone. I wrote that song. I was like, I should, that's a good song. I should write yeah. that. And, and then, then I watched, an I watched this fucking episode and I was like, God gave me that song for a reason yeah. because this is, so fucked up and crazy. What you're uh, saying is that this episode is so cursed that God himself gave you divine musical inspiration. Salubians. Salubians made me write that song so it would be ready for this. I prefer the idea that this episode is cursed by the devil. Yeah. You know, it is divine in its its uh, its weight and that it is pure evil. There's a bunch of different ways they could have played this out without Archer having to fundamentally violate his 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 what I have to assume is a character Bible trait. There's alternative versions to this. Initially, the script called for flocks lying to Archer and saying, um, I don't have a cure for this. Flocks knowing that Archer would not be able to help himself. Flocks being a scientist over anything else. Uh, deciding that the uh, natural selection must take its course and that he was going to disobey a direct order and condemn these guys. I would have been fine with that. I can accept flocks. Two two endings could have worked here. Flocks explaining that, you know, through his, this story that the noblemen see the world differently, that they, they take the idea of the natural course of genetic evolution, very, uh, to heart and you know he has chosen because he's observing humanity as a species as kind of a, a scientist that he cannot provide this information to archer because archer like you said is just talks too to his, his dog feelings. he's talks to his dog he's too in his feelings he can't make a rational choice 
or that Flox is convinced by Archer's emotion in humanity, and which is a Star Trek thing to do, mm-hmm. and is a, there, that it is a benefit, and that you know the history will 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 have to show us if this was the correct choice or not. But it is the correct choice today, and we will make it because we are here to help people and to make the galaxy a better place through our actions. Either of those solutions work. They could try giving the drug and the drug doesn't work after all. And hey, all that arguing, debating for nothing, blah, blah, blah. Also very Star Trek. There's a whole wall of post-it notes with outcomes that could have happened here. And the most ridiculous one that should never have been picked uh, gets picked. And it is just a what the fuck of what the fucks. This is hands. (laughs) Spoiler alert. There will be a season one rip for Enterprise, <laughs> and this will be the weakest shit award for season one of Star Trek Enterprise. I I, I don't Promise. know. If this could, I don't know if this could ever be topped. <laughs> this might even be one. worse than the dirty Janeway did to the Talaxians. In terms of body count, it is worse. You know, hundreds of millions will die from this neglect. He's a war criminal. Yeah. Archer goes to hell for this. And. Before Archer goes to hell, though, we have another episode of Enterprise to watch. What is that next week? All right, we're going to be going into season one, episode 14, Sleeping Dogs. And uh, I don't know, there's a ship of some sort in blood or I don't know what that is. While investigating a gas giant, Enterprise comes across a damaged vessel hovering in the atmosphere. And Paul, Hoshi and Malcolm board the vessel to investigate. However, once born, they're ambushed by a hostile female Klingon who hijacks a shuttle pod and strands him on the Klingon ship, which threatens to implode under the pressure of the planet's atmosphere. Uh, This is not talking about the problems that Archer caused over on Pajem. I don't care about this. We'll get there, buddy. (laughs) We'll get there. Just you wait. And until we get there, thank you for listening to Vigia, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. We always appreciate your time and attention to our show. You can catch us at VJPlease at gmail.com, at VJPlease at Twitter, at VJPlease at Facebook. Please join our Discord, our Facebook group. Uh, send us an email, tweet me, DM me. We always like to hear from our fans, and we appreciate everyone who has taken the time, uh, by the way, to share the podcast as well as rate it. We appreciate everyone's ratings on Spotify in particular that came along recently. So thanks for that. And we will see you next week. 